Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by CatholicSingles.com is ringing in the new year with savings for singles. You can save 20% by using the promo code BREADBOX when you register for a new account. Come meet other faithful Catholics and make 2020 a year to remember. Welcome to Liturgy Live. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen, and we will be discussing the readings for the baptism of the Lord. Hey, Father Ian, how are you doing? Doing well. Good to see you, Alana. And while Alana is sharing and letting everybody know that we're live, you guys know the drill. It's just a little opening monologue. So the big thing I've been getting into, so if you remember like three or four weeks ago, a lot of the emphasis was on recognizing our capacity for evil recognizing the disorders of our hearts, going deep in the sense of recognizing that we are all capable of evil and learning to name our sins and name the stuff that's going on inside and and seeing that darkness within. My shift, which is actually very similar to the shift in the exercises of St. Ignatius, these past couple of weeks is now we're being presented with icons of perfection. First of all, to recognize that, that perfection is possible It happened in the person of Jesus Christ, and we are all called to perfection. And I would say if we look at our lives, there are moments when that grace shines forth. There's moments where we, in a certain sense, are completely Christ-like, when we conform to his grace. Now, it may not be permanent, as in the the connection with Jesus Christ. So with Jesus Christ, his nature was to be God. So in, in every moment of every day, he shines forth perfection. With us, it's often a mixture of weakness, of sin, of illusions. But then every now and then, there's a moment where that grace breaks forth in our lives. And learning to name that, learning to connect with that. And that's one of the things I want us to do in this week's readings, is we see a lengthy description in the first one, and do an examination of conscience of how you have fallen short, but also how have you like seen that operative in your life? I was just even thinking for my own life, uh, one of the first ones, it's kind of an interesting thing with me, I mean, I'm going to toot my own horn, but that's kind of the idea. I mean, when naming grace in your life, one of the things that I've always been happy with myself about is that by no means am I famous, by no means I have a huge platform with digital media, but very early on, anybody who knows me, anybody who works with me, the the one characteristic is, you know, you hear in the first reading, he, he doesn't draw attention to himself. And as much as I do draw attention to myself, there's a sense of sharing my platform, which I've done from the beginning, where it's not just the Father Ian Van Heusen show. I've often tried to reach out and try to bring other people and kind of bring that collaboration. And I've always had a, a soft spot for um, the folks who were just coming up, some of the teenagers and the young adults, which I just brought a young adult with us to, uh, to the SLS conference and kind of paid his way, um, even though he's like 22, 23, just kind of breaking into the industry. And so, I mean, really trying to connect with that. I mean, and there, yeah, of course, we want to be humble. We don't want to be egocentric, but we have to learn to recognize our successes and to move with those. What are the things about ourselves that we actually like? You know, what are those things about ourselves that are positive, that, that other people like? Um, yeah. So that's kind of my th- opening thought. All right. And I, I guess we don't, as a, as a Catholic culture, we, we tend to think, 
emphasize a lot about examining our conscience and like rooting out sin and don't very much focus on like what what are the gifts that we've been given that we can that we are using well that we can be rejoice in so i i like that focus so we can we don't just have to focus on like what do we need to do to make ourselves better but how ha, how have we already done that a little bit you know like in our in our path yeah. Well, I've even found, you know, I've talked to, I've talked a little bit about this with family and friends. One of the things that has helped me to be empathetic is to recognize sometimes that I do have unique qualities that make me good at certain things or give me certain character strengths that are maybe not universally shared. And that's what I would say is, is does your reflection on your, your strengths and your, and your, your, your capacity for good and, and the moments where you've really shined, does it make you more empathetic with other people? Um, you know, cause ultimately, you know, what we do good and, and our strengths are go beyond ourselves, right? They come from our family, from our circumstances, from God's grace, mm-hmm. all that interconnection. So often the good things we do, are so little about who us directly they're about other things around us and circumstances and whatnot. Right. And, and even being able to use our gifts well to be able to build up the church. And that's really like where we can rejoice that it is helping other people, you know, that we can use the gifts of God positively and rejoice in it and not be constantly negative upon ourselves because that just isn't helpful either. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's jump into the reading and kind of have fun with this. All right. So the first readings from Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, a smoldering wick he shall not quench, until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait for his teaching. I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and I set you as as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement. And from the dungeon, those who live in darkness. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Go ahead. I don't have too much. Okay. So the idea is this is a description of Jesus, you know, broadly speaking. This is a description of the Messiah. I mean, I'm sure there's different ways the scholarships might disagree with who's it a description of. But from a Christian perspective, from a solid Orthodox perspective, Jesus Christ, right? But I think also look at our own lives, like – how um how we can apply it to ourselves so how are we being like other christ so my chosen one with whom i'm well pleased so the first of all i mean how many of us rest in the idea that the circumstances we are find ourselves in is what we've been chosen for for the most part i mean i think there's some wiggle room like right now, like if you're in an abusive marriage, that might be a little bit different. We'll set aside some of those extreme circumstances. But for most of us, do you see your current circumstance as a kind of vocation, a calling? You are chosen, and the Lord wants to be, and He wants to be pleased with you in your circumstances. Does that make sense? 
That does. Or yes. the circumstance that you're in right now is training you for what your vocation is. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think we're a little bit different. Like for me, I, mm-hmm. I was chosen, like resting the fact that I'm chosen to be a priest, priest right? Right. right. Or uh, as, a, as a wife and a mother too. And, um, but also sometimes, I guess connecting to like what you said about the abuse of marriages or whoever is going through something extremely difficult that you go through that sometimes to help other people when you're through, you know what I mean? Or have other people give you the, you know, be a conduit of God's grace into your life too. So so there's really an intricate connection between God's grace and like where you are right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, even, yeah, absolutely. And even in, in taking upon that, that notion that, um, well, always recognizing God's providence in, in the midst of things, mm-hmm. um, and resting that I'm trying to think what's the value like how to explain this and to, to flesh this out that, um, I think one of the, the mental poisons that we can often encounter is always wishing we were somebody else or in somebody else's circumstances or we had somebody else's gifts and talents or we had to be anything other than who we are. Like, I think that's, that's a constant danger. So I give, I give one of the examples I give with this is my soccer career. So when I was in high school, um, I always wanted to play forward. And the way I tell it with kids is, you know, the forwards get the girls, right? So the, the goal scorers, the goal scorers get all the glory. I wanted the glory. But it turned out as I got later in, in high school, even though I started, I was always a star player. I actually, it turns out I was better at defense. And I even would have made a D1 if I had stuck with defense. But I wanted to be a forward and a goal scorer. So I, I ended up getting cut from D1. But there's that sense of, of, of resting in your identity and who you are. Um, I think – it really occurred to me, you know, going back to um, the, one of the things that struck me this past week, and I was okay with it for the first time in my life, or not the first time, but it's it's a thought that's occurred to me, relatively speaking, is that I've always been kind of like a a solid B, or like an A minus, like all my life I've never been the number one, I've been, but I've been in the top ten, you know what I'm saying. And I mean, even like with media and stuff like that, because I, I was I was I was listening to these to these talks and the speakers, especially in the videos, and reflecting on how they were better than me and being okay with that. Um, certain qualities about them, like man, that's some good stuff. Um, but just being okay with um, like not being number one, but being mm-hmm. like number four. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not something that's going to be, I'm going to blaze it on a slow go, like <laughs> be, no, be number four. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can see it's, it's not a selling point. <laughs> it's more of like something you recognize and accept in growth. <laughs> um, it's not an entry. It's not an entry doorway. There's no threshold there, but but it's really recognition of how how we can um, be able to. It's I think that's like a sign of maturity, just to be able to like look at other people and be like, "Wow, they have so many gifts, and I'm so thankful that they have those gifts, and yeah. that that they are where they are, and then I can be where I am, and then I can learn from them." You know what yeah. I mean? And that and that I can aspire. Maybe sometimes I can aspire to what they're doing. Um, 
but just to realize that where I am and where God has me right now is good. Yeah. And it is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm, as long as I'm going the right direction that I'm supposed to be like, then I can enjoy and rejoice in other people's gifts. And I really like that. I really like that perspective. It's a real, I mean, a lot of the things that I've learned has a lot to do with attitude in my own attitude yeah. <laughs> and how having a good attitude about things that makes life's burdens so much different, either easier or harder, depending what your attitude is, but yeah. how, how we approach things, how we approach fear, how we approach gratitude or envy, you know, and, and, I think that comes with the spiritual life and, and really, you know, after maybe after the purgative life where we can really just see things differently. Yeah. Well, and then this is one of the points my Bishop makes a lot with, with kids. Now I think there is a little bit of a danger is you want to strive, but it's paradoxical. So, you know, going back to, um, if you're, if you're striving in a way that's unhealthy, then it's always a problem. If you're if you're hungry, just hungry enough, just to, just a little bit, like um, or just enough that's the, the right spot. And I don't know if you've been following. Have you have you followed Planet Fitness at all? Mm-mm. Like Planet Fitness, they have a lot of commercials about like unhealthy views of exercise, and um and they're they're talking about how you know it's not about hard work or it's not about like kind of trying to work against. But that's not even helpful either. See, it is kind of like I am still hungry. Like I want to. It's not like I don't want to be number one, but it's just always a dynamic that I'm kind of always striving after number one, but I've never quite arrived there at any point in my life, like where I've been the number one, whatever, you know, I've always been a C average. Like (laughs) you're like, I was like a good B and I'm like, I'm even lower than that. I was always a C average in general. So, and sadly, like, that's just how I saw myself on at everything and now that i'm in school i'm like an a average like low a average and i'm just like what is like i almost have to like feel like i have to reassess my identity you know what i mean because i'm like am i just better at this you know or do i have more understanding and you know maturity now that i'm in a different place in my life and look at school differently you know what i mean just have the, the ability to focus better um and, and it's just different. You know what I mean? So like, even when you do go a little bit higher in those goals, it's sometimes like, is that even who I am? Like, is this for real? <laughs> am yeah. I, am I doing this well? Because I don't know if I am allowed to allow myself to feel like I'm doing that well. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Cause I just, I just feel like I'm average. And then when I do better than average, I'm like, awesome. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to take this. So. Yeah. Well, there's also, there's also a certain stratification of topics too. Like you can crush it with certain topics, but like, like astrophysics, for example, because I mean, that's the thing is, is like those really, those really like top, like 1% intelligence people. I mean, yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, those, those folks are incredible. I- I mean, if you asked me to take a math class, it would probably fail. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, so I'm not going to, I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's all things, but there's definitely um, a drive when I'm in my classes and when I'm thinking about faith and learning about faith, um, that's different than, than my history of, you know, just my attempts at most things in life. 
Does that make yeah. sense? Like, I feel like maybe it has to do with a gift and it has to do with maybe this is just something that I have a gift for um, more than my normal capacity. For things. Yeah. Well, I think it could be, there's also certain stages where you're, um, actually, I don't know if this was directly tied with what you were saying. I was going to change the subject a little bit. All right. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think there's, um, there's a stage in your life where um, growth is like an exciting thing. I was, I was thinking about this, you know, thinking back to SLS, thinking about before, I'm constantly uh, now motivated in a positive way. It doesn't feel overwhelming. It doesn't feel, and, and I would say because it's my ability to rest in who I am. I'm constantly aware how everybody around me has things that they're doing better around me. Like, so the, the classic one for me is I'm not very aware of other people when I'm in public. Like I'm not good at opening doors for people or like saying, excuse me. Or, and so being in the South, I'm constantly reminded of how everybody around me is way more polite than I am. Like I'm kind of off in my own world. Um, but like, but, but that, like that would have bothered me five or 10 years ago, but not so much anymore. I just kind of accept it and work on it and grow with it. And I'm getting better at it. Um, but but it's, it's really interesting with that. Um, so let's, I mean, I think that's, and that's what I think is, is getting at the sense of like, and like our Bishop, my Bishop talks about a lot is resting in who you are. So let's continue with the next one. So it goes, my chosen one with whom, um, upon whom I, he shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street, a bruised reed he shall not break. I, it's interesting, this whole idea of like not crying out in the street. I mean, Jesus did teach publicly. I think, so another topic we could tie this in with, on Twitter the other day, um, I, I, these tweets annoy me, and um I, I should, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get better about not responding because nobody ever, nobody ever like responds to me. So it's kind of always feels fruitless. Like nobody even acknowledges my tweets. So I'm kind of like, <laughs> I just waste my time on this. Yeah. But um, they were talking about celebrity priests and how like priests shouldn't be celebrity, which is kind of a weird way of thinking about it because there's certain people who excel. I mean, Augustine was a celebrity priest. I mean, that's why they saved his books. I mean, it's really laborious to save people's books back then and to write them and to publish them. It's like you only wrote and published what was really good. Mm -hmm. You know, even St. Jerome and some of these other folks, that's why their, their works were preserved. But I think a lot of it comes down to the whole jealousy thing. But, but I think what I've seen, and actually I would say most do a really good job of this. Um, I was really impressed with Father Mike Schmidt, Sister Miriam, Sister Bethany, is they come across as incredibly humble people. Not that everything was perfect. Every now and then a few of them would be a little grumpy or a little, you know, they're a little tired and not completely understanding or whatever. And not even grumpy. It's just they're frazzled because they just did like 20 interviews in a row. And they're giving, and you're one more person they're giving their time to. But I would say for the most part, what I've encountered with a lot of these folks is they're, they're, they're genuine. Like they're, they're, they're pretty sincere and they're, they're pretty incredible people, um, intelligent, well-spoken. And there's a reason why they're number one. And like, and that's a good thing. Like it shouldn't intimidate. Right. I, yeah. And, and 
this kind of goes into the being the light for the nations to me where where it's like we need to shine at some point and sometimes shining looks like celebrity you know what i mean sometimes being good at these things looks like popularity um but it's also important to to do that and and when you talk about like not shouting i think because it's about bringing justice when we look at bringing justice it looks a lot like shouting in the streets it looks a lot like mob justice yeah. you know what i mean and it's that's not what it is mm-hmm. it's a different type of justice it's a, it's a different type of um action that yeah. that that christ brings and they were expecting you know just a specific type of political justice right so so this mm-hmm. is really showing forth you know being holy in a specific way that's not mob rule it's not you know it is really about conquering conquering your own you know through grace you know mm-hmm. through through virtue but but everything you need and and when it comes to when you're around people who are excelling in their life of faith and they're doing well it is easy for us to immediately even this is not even people who tend to just we recognize our own weaknesses in their presence and and it kind of puts us in a state of where we are and how we respond to it internally mm-hmm. like our immediate reaction could could be like Ugh, you know what i mean like and then like really have an attitude towards it of like i need to tear that some people need to tear that person down because mm-hmm. they immediately feel self self-conscious around that person yeah. I feel like that happens with people of faith where sometimes we can say, Oh my gosh, this person seems so holy. And I compared to compared to myself, like I feel like I am deficient in some way and that either I tear that person down or I tear myself down, or I could just be happy that that person mm-hmm. is succeeding in holiness and hope for my own holiness in that way. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be either or tearing them down or tearing myself down. Yeah. And and this is where I'm going to get a little personal. The way to, the way to escape that cycle of comparing yourself to other people, um, noticing your limitations, being self-conscious, dealing with your desire, maybe like for me, you know, for me, I want to, I want to, I want to establish a digital media nonprofit. I want to do these events and I'm, I'm in the beginning. What is the key in overcoming all of this? And I have actually found that the only way out of all of it is not more analysis, but is um, contemplation and forgetting. And that is what I've just learned to do is to really fight against with every ounce of my energy, the negative thought trap to fight against it. Don't even acknowledge it. Don't make it a part of who I am. So that's the thing is often like that thought arises with a lot of people and they start down a path of beating themselves up. Well, I'm this or I'm that because I had this negative thought for a moment. It's like, well, no, if you reject it, but then when you enter into that rest more and more, you forget all of that and you realize how it's not that important. And I mean, I'm not saying all this stuff is great and I go back into work and I I love being around it, but I've learned that if you can enter into that forgetting, that's a quality of contemplation that gets picked up on the cloud of unknowing. He calls it bury everything under a cloud of forgetting. And that is when you can forget yourself and forget the world and just rest in the presence of the Lord. That's when you start to like 
like realize that, you know, vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. And, that's and it's getting, helpful. Yeah. It's a tool also yeah. to, to re- recognize, okay, well, I am, maybe I am doing this or whoever's listening, maybe they recognize if, if they are doing things like this, maybe that's a way to work, work out of that. Happen. Yeah. Well, and just, and, and, and trying to forget about it, trying mm-hmm. to forget about yourself, forget about everything. Mm-hmm. Cause well, I mean, going back to that, recognizing your capacity for evil, there's always moments of jealousy. There's always moments of, and, and not, it doesn't necessarily rise to the level of mortal sin until you give your consent to it and you're fantasizing about it and you construct your sense of who you are and your place in the world around it. Um, that, that then, this is why I often think some of the best speakers and some of the best, what they often do is, is they take something like that that's like completely interior and vulnerable and they make fun of themselves about it a little bit, mm-hmm. which I, I found is generally somebody normally, what I found with most comedians like in the church world is often they take things that are incredibly embarrassing or that they're incredibly self-conscious about and they learn to laugh about it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's like, a way to, it's a way to make other people see like you have depth. There's, there's depth, there's failure, there is, you know, it's, it's really hard to buy into somebody who just has a, the facade of perfection. So to be able to make fun of yourself, to be able to admit like the things that you've done wrong or where you've failed, you know, and where, where you've grown. And that's also where it's, you know, where they say that now people will learn from a witness more than a teacher. And they will learn mm-hmm. from a teacher if the teacher is a witness. Yeah. So, so it really is about witnessing and about story because, because, you know, our, our story is, is, is what we, you know, thrive and live off of is, is the story of salvation and how, mm-hmm. how we live that out in, in our own parts of it, in our own story. So, and failing is part of that <laughs> failing and then recovering and being able to, move on and and integrate it and be able to share it with others is part of you know how how other people can learn how Absolutely. to do that are but, you ready for comments oh yeah get in comments yeah. uh, ryan fisher says in regards to the opener i was just studying this last night in regards to saint ignatius's examine we begin by asking for god's grace but thinking about the good that happened in our lives each day Focusing on the gratitude we have, although, like Alana said, we often focus on our sins and where we feel short during the day. Looking for where God was in our day is much easier in retrospect than in the moment. And mm. Ryan also says, soccer and sports. That's a bingo square. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and Father Vitalis says, absolutely, that would be opening up our circle of trust and making those who feel such unholy to, to come in and be transformed by our holiness. The life of each one of us affects the other in a way, one way or, not, or the other. Thank you both for this ministry. Thanks, Father Vitalis. And Ryan just says, uh, awareness of our own limitations and failure opens us up to growth, which we all strive to do. When someone can speak about that, it makes them human. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say. What I mean. So you got you get what I mean, Ryan. 
So second reading, you ready? It's from yep. the Acts of the Apostles. Peter proceeded to speak to those gathered in the house of Cornelius, saying, In truth, I see that God shows no partiality. Rather, in every nation, whoever fears him and acts uprightly is acceptable to him. You know the word that he sent to the Israelites as he proclaimed peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That what, what has happened all over Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So one of the things that I'd like to add after this reading is that right after this is when the Holy Spirit comes upon the uh, Gentiles, Cornelius and the, and the Gentiles, and then Peter um, has them baptized. So they were, the, the Holy Spirit came upon them before they were even baptized. After hearing the, um, the baptism of Jesus with the Holy, the anointing of Holy Spirit and power. So yeah. Just want to add that into this story. Yeah, like no, this is important. a very powerful part of of where we are. Um, so, Absolutely. where where do you think? Where, where would you like to go with this? I, I, I like the idea that, that he gets at that um, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, and of course, understood properly, which is not that he's not God or that he somehow was deficient, but that he allowed himself to receive the Holy Spirit in his humanity for the sake of the mission um, and receiving his identity. Um, and, and, and really that, that sense of identity going back to contemplation, I've thought about this a lot, you know, we talk about a lot and, and this is a theme of SLS, a theme of console with focus. It's a th- constant theme of youth ministry in general, which is we take our identity from Christ. And so it's a classic identity talk. I don't know how many youth conferences you've been to, but, um, the, the, the themes, most of the talks, I hate to say it, but for the most part, they're fairly repetitive as they should be. I mean, it's not like you have to reinvent the wheel every year. And one of them is constantly getting people not to identify with what they do, but to get to identify with their relationship with the Lord and, and who, how God sees them and allowing the father to see them that like, you know, you don't have to earn God's love that you don't have to, you're not, you're not trying to live up to some expectation and just resting your identity. It's a constant theme in youth ministry talks pay attention now. You'll hear it all over the place. You'll be like, Oh yeah, that's, there it is again. But, um, but I think that there's that sense of um, receiving. Well, and it, it hasn't, it's, it struck me more and more how many people find the idea of receptivity incredibly difficult. So what do I mean by this? Most people, and the more talented and the more successful that they are, the more they, they struggle with this. Receptivity is, is a kind of intuitive space where you don't have expectations, where you, where you don't know what's going to happen. There's a certain ambiguity to it. And like you just kind of receive and see what happens. I mean, I've even sometimes done this with preparing for things where it's not as prepared as it should be. And I'm just like, whatever happens, happens. I've gotten better about not doing that with events, but especially with like your holy hour and with your prayer, many people struggle with receptivity. Well, just the fact that like, so for example, one of the big challenges with receptivity in your holy hour is like you could be sitting with your holy hour. And if you're in that receptive mode, 
you might start by thinking about um, your groceries. So like, or like suddenly a song pops up in your head and then you're kind of moving along with it and you're just kind of seeing it, letting it go. And then you're there, your childhood, you're there, your memory and all of the interconnection between all of them is not as analytical and clear as say like the Summa Theologica or something like that. But there is a connection. And then seeing that when you're like witnessing that in that receptivity mode, you see how things develop over time. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then, and then sometimes things just come to you that you're yeah. that like, then you, that's what, where you are when you get a profound revelation. That's not always profound to everyone, but for you in that moment, it was necessary. Like it was God in your life. Yeah. And that's, I give the classic example. I was in that receptive mode during a holy hour when I was in seminary and I had this insight that just struck me so profoundly. I was like, this is so awesome. Have I told you this before? Yes. <laughs> I love the story. Okay. Keep telling it. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. I love telling it. So I'm like, this is the most awesome insight in the world. This is so original. And then I get to the end. I'm like, I need to write it down. And it's love one another as I have loved you. I'm like, <laughs> You're like, oh, I've read this before somewhere. <laughs> Not original. <laughs> but profound. And when, when, you know, you can read things over and over and over again, you know, like the Bible, and sometimes certain things speak to you in those moments. You know, and that was just like God was speaking to you. And that's yeah. important. And even what though we you- laugh about it, you know, like we joke that it, you know, you, you found it profound and you would tell somebody else and they'd be like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh. I've had that. I don't remember what it was, what I said, but I told, said something and people were like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It was like way more powerful in my brain than it was to everybody else. (laughs) Which is, which is the tough thing as a spiritual director is because 90% of the time when people are coming to you with insights, they're so excited about it. And it's something like that. They're like, I realize like, God really loves me. You're like, I yes, know. Does. <laughs> I've been trying to tell you that for weeks. <laughs> but, 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 but you have to learn to share that. Like, absolutely. You know? Yeah. You have a little, but that's, that's what happens in the holy hour is when you're in that receptive mode. Suddenly something clicks that you may have been hearing your whole life, like offer it up or something like that. Like, yeah. Oh, like it finally makes sense. Yeah. Like just offer it up. Yeah. You know. And and the moment something clicks is like the best moment. I love that moment. Like when I get something and it's just like the puzzle piece just joins together so nicely and it's like, oh, so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I want to share it. And then it's sometimes it's, you know, everyone else already knows, but, but it's nice to, you know, share in those, those feelings and, and, and to be able to receive that from other people. I know we, we do have to work on it. You know, when other people are excited about the things that yeah. are revealed to them. Well, one, one, uh, one uh, meditation I had recently that I had a lot of fun with. Uh, have you, uh, uh, did I tell you about the, my baby Jesus meditation recently? I don't know if I – it was like during Christmas, so I don't think we had our, our podcast so I, or, or our Facebook Live. So I don't know if I got an opportunity to tell you about it. But it was, it was really fruitful was I imagined baby Jesus. I was like, what would his eyes have looked like? Yeah, I, did yes. I talk about yeah, we that? talked about it on the on the Christmas live stream, I think. Oh, we did. Okay, yeah, yeah. But it's okay. Um, but, but yeah, you know, but but you know, you see a person, like you the eyes are the gateway to the soul and everything. You know, yeah. And how how important it is to have eye contact. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know if I've ever thought about that before. You said it, 
yeah. at Christmas. So and then, and then I had the the insight. I was telling people to meditate on the cross of Jesus Christ because I like had that great uh, prayer experience of meditating on the cross of Christ. I was like, no, like I mean, really meditate. On it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this is a part of the tradition. Yeah. Well, I never thought about like tasting the blood or like like feeling the wounds or like mm-hmm. imagining the imagining the grit and the grime. Something like the, the um, and of course that's what the saints were referring to. It just it, it has to have its proper time when it clicks in your head, right? Yeah. But sometimes people aren't ready for that, or they don't understand what you mean by meditate on. You know yeah. what I mean? Like some people could just be like, "Okay, I'll think about Jesus on the, on the cross," but you just went a little bit deeper into saying, "Like, actually think about like." His, like his wounds and his blood and like how it feels in the dirt and all of that, you know, like, yeah, actually think about that. Meditate on his facial expressions and right. Yeah. And what the he mom. said and, and who was there. Yeah. It's, it really helps, I think, to get more descriptive, especially yeah. in those types of things. Well, that's why I say flesh it out, you know, flesh yeah. it out. that was a great phrase that I learned in seminary that, that um that you know you you learn well that's the, the is often the key to like good theology or good is you take a concept that could be expressed in two sentences and you kind of flesh it out mm-hmm. you kind of draw out its meaning you draw out right and what you assume other people know you just put yeah. back into the you know because sometimes it's easy for me to say to make things short and sweet because there's a lot of assumptions in what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Assuming that you know this word, assuming that you know this concept. And then yeah. then it's short, but not everybody does. You know, it's like, am I writing this paper to my teacher or am I writing this paper with the, a student in mind? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. a different perspective of how you say things. Exactly. And theology papers are slightly different because you can be highly technical and to the point. But normally what your good speakers do, I've seen this time and time again, is they take a concept that's relatively simple and straightforward, like Jesus loves you, or you're, you're called to have a relationship with Jesus, and they kind of stretch it out with a story and a narrative um, that really illustrates the point for, mm-hmm. for, for kids, particularly with youth ministry. And that can be thought through. Like, yeah, just, what, just saying Jesus loves you is like, okay. You know what I mean? Like they don't know how to, like you said, being receptive. They don't know how to receive that has to be put in a, in a way that's, that people can receive. Yeah. I really think that's really important. Um, Absolutely. And uh, so let's see this. The other thing I think that also receiving the Holy spirit, Jesus receiving the Holy spirit that way is also the fulfillment of that scripture in Isaiah. That this is yeah. a typological fulfillment and this. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and, and 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 then I would say this tying it into the Trinity, it's the pattern of his relationship with the Father for all eternity. For all eternity, Jesus receives. He stands in a posture of receptivity to the Father. Mm. The classic Trinitarian kind of stuff. And self gift. Yeah, exactly. Receptivity, but also giving himself. giving of himself. Yeah, so which is why we're pattern we're pattern off of Jesus. All of creation is pattern off of Jesus. Right. Person of the Trinity. And then, yeah, so, and this is also where we see, where we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the voice of God and the, the spirit yeah. that looked like a dove and Jesus. So that's, a, that's one of the 
the Trinitarian parts of the Bible. Well, and I, and I think, and we'll get into it, is getting into that whole idea of archetypes and Jordan Peterson, um, Carl Jung, archetypal patterns that I've been playing around with, is we can see it as a process that we all go through, right? So there's conversion with Jesus, which is not a repentance of sin for Jesus because he has no sin, but it's a surrendering and an obedience to the mission of John and, and to the plan of salvation. So there's an obedience and a surrender. There's a death, a, a dying, and then there's a kind of mini resurrection and a recept, receiving of the spirit, which if you think about it, I mean, this is often the pattern. So I'm um, going back to the thought traps, the negative patterns. I've seen it over and over again now where it's the pattern. It, it happens more and more fast as I get older is you go into a holy hour, you're plagued by negative thoughts, or you, you have a period of rest. You're, you have the negative thoughts. You have the, the, the negative self-talk, the, all of that. And you go into that period, and you bring it before the Lord, and you kind of repent of it, and you surrender it. And then it's like you have to die. You have to let go of it. You have to forget it all. You have to, so you, you, you recognize it. You acknowledge it. Then you let go of it. You repent. And you die you let go of all of that, and then that contemplation takes hold. You receive your new identity. You you're renewed from within. Because um, once you've experienced, I mean, I, I mean, I know contemplation is not um, not it's not as common as I'm making it seem. But there's a kind of rest, and there's a kind of a, a resurrection or a kind of consolation that often comes when you experience that consolation. When you experience that renewal, you know, you feel like a million dollars. Like that's yeah. Yeah, and you're, like, revived for the mission. Exactly. And I think part of the reason uh, why youth ministry and young adult ministry is so identity-oriented is because our identity in Christ is where our mission comes from. Yeah. So they can't be sent on mission without having that secure identity in Christ. So it needs to be, you know, really drilled in. Like, this is who our – and especially our culture is so identity-confused that it really is important <laughs> for us to, you know, focus on that first in, in, in those places. And it's important for all ministry. So, but I understand why it's so fo- like highly focused on in those particular fields. Yeah. Um, There's something else I was going to say, but I don't remember. But, so. I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> it must have been a lot. It's gone. Well, that's what my mom always says. Must have been a lot. Oh, <laughs> It was it was in response to what something you were saying, but I had too many right. things in my brain. So uh, no, yeah, no extra comments right now. So if anybody needs any prayers, uh, let us know in the comments and or any other comments, let us know, and I will go jump into the Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying. I need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me. Jesus said to him in reply, Allow it now, for this, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, after Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And a voice came from the heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
Okay, mm -hmm. so this is really a, a typological connection to the first reading and to um, just the fulfillment of, of that prophecy. <clears throat> and so we've talked kind of around the gospel the entire time because <laughs> yeah. we knew what we were talking going to be talking about. But um, I really, I think that I like this interaction with John. It's not in the other gospels. It's just in Matthew that mm -hmm. them saying like John saying, I need to be baptized by you. Like him recognizing the order of hierarchy um, and, and questioning it and not, in a, and sometimes questioning is punished and sometimes mm -hmm. it's rewarded in Bible. Oh, there's um, Mary and Elizabeth is our Mary and uh, Zachariah. Zachariah. Yeah. So this is definitely a change. So this is Zachariah's son. But it is a it is a healthy question, right? Yeah. He's recognizing that he is lesser than Christ, and that he needs what Christ has, but he doesn't understand how. You know what I mean? What is happening in this way? So I really I, I really like contemplating on that. You know that that Christ is acknowledging it. Allow mm -hmm. it for now. Not like no 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 no. You know like you're better than me. You know, it's not a false humility. It's you're right, but this is what's going to happen for now because this is what other people need. You know, yeah. it's, it's him again, condescending to be able to give us what we need. Yeah. I just think it's really beautiful. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a fascinating dynamic that, um, well, it's like, the, it's like, you know, you have the, you have the president come to visit and like you have, like let's say you have the five dollars to get into the the county fair, and the president shows up, and you're like, "Oh, president, you don't have to pay for the five dollars," you know. But the president pays anyways. I mean, that's a little bit different. I mean, sometimes people will or will not. It's but but that sense of of lowering oneself. Well, think about this though. Isn't it fascinating though? The person who's truly able to lower themselves recognizes their dignity, their strength, and their power. Um, because it's a higher form of, it's a higher form of, 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 I don't want to say dominance, but of being number one, mm -hmm. because, um, and you see that because like uh, the, the self-conscious person, the self-conscious tyrant would never do that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they would almost demand like, you better make an exception for me because I'm the best or you better make an exception for me because I'm not like everybody else, but like this kind of leader, and this is where they get at that, like the whole idea of servant leadership and some of the concepts that are really near and dear to the West really flow from the leadership of Jesus Christ. So another example, this is one I've never gotten into is army. So a military example. So I might've talked about this before, but my sister was doing training with officers from around the world. And at one point it was just officers though. And they had some kind of work that they had to do that was menial. And see in the army, they actually train officers. One of the key features of officers in the army in the, in the United States is you get down with your soldiers and not all the time. You don't have to do it all the time, but you, you at least are able to do the work that they are able to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, if you expect them to dig a ditch, you should at least be able and willing to dig the ditch I mean, it's a classic thing. I don't know if your husband ever experienced this or he experienced this. My dad was this guy, you know, the 50-year-old the old colonel that insists on going on the ruck march with all the soldiers, right? Mm -hmm. Even though, like, he could blot his back or whatever, you know, because that was my thing. My dad, like, 
had a lot of back problems, but he would always insist on like, he had to look tough around the soldiers. He had to, you know, whatever. But that's not sure. It's like credibility to, to you know, like in it, the leadership that comes from it, you know, and, and the buy-in from the people who they need to lead really, it really helps them own what they need to do, you know? Yeah. But other officers around the world don't have this mentality. Mm. So like, so they were in this training and the other officers like, this is enlisted man work. We're not going to do this. And my sister and the other American soldiers like, look, there's no enlisted people here. You need to be able to do it, suck it up and do it. Like, and, and and that was kind of like, new for the officers from other parts of the country Mm -hmm. Uh, not other parts of the country other parts of the world yeah Um, makes sense yeah Yeah. but it's interesting because you think that's universal but before the idea of servant leadership is american thing but it's a particularly american thing that comes out of the gospels and who jesus christ is um that the leader is the one who lays down one's life for the sheep that the leader is the one who lives in solidarity with the poor or because yeah yeah it totally makes sense yeah you're definitely being very clear on on how those connections are are being made and how leadership is so important and and you know really getting your hands dirty in the actual work of the people is really necessary for discipleship for us to be discipleship or leaders in discipleship it's really important um, to, to do that and how going kind of going back to what we were talking about before about recognizing who you are in the presence of someone else, mm-hmm. you know, like for either so we were talking about specifically about our, our weaknesses in the presence of somebody greater than us, but like John the Baptist, like rec- knew who he was and knew who Christ was mm-hmm. and, and, and responded properly. Does that make sense? Like it, there was, yeah. there wasn't any envy. There wasn't any, you know, passive aggressive. You know, yeah. It, it was, it was a good example of how to respond to somebody who is, who is greater than you, but you have a different role. You know, you have a specific role to play, even if that person you seem like you're not the right way one for that person. And Christ has a plan for you, even though it seems off sometimes. You know, like. I'm not worthy for this particular thing, but Christ has you do it anyways. So I think that's, I think that's really cool to think about too, especially if we feel like we're unworthy for whatever, mm-hmm. whatever mission we have, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, I'm trying to get at like, well, well you know, why are people, well, not why are people like, kind of get, explore a little bit in our conversation. This last topic is why do people in the middle feel uncomfortable with people at the top? Like, I think, I think somewhat it can be the behavior of some people at the top can obviously can, can cause that. But well, I think, I think it's the classic thing is, is that I don't have to strive to be better if I can knock the people at the top. Hmm. So that's at the heart of that tweet, going back to that tweet. You know, I can put down Father Mike Schmidt so that I don't have to work harder and improve my – and I'll be honest with you, listening to these people talk and videos, they are really, really good. I mean, I was like – I mean, on a moment's notice, like they were using examples, their use of language. I was like, okay, 
I mean, I've seen like really good speakers that are not as good as that. And you're like, okay, these, these people are like a step above. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you don't have to, you don't mm-hmm. have to work harder or you don't have to, you don't have to change basically. Right. And you, and you can knock everybody around you. It's a strategy that I knock everybody and everything around me so that I don't have to do anything differently. Yeah. Yeah. And if you knock them, then you don't have to listen to what they're saying. Yeah. And if they're bringing Christ to the world and you're not wanting to listen to what they're saying, you know what I mean? Like it's really a, yeah. a, a, a not a good place to be, um, yeah. to, to knock people in that way, you know, and then it creates scandal sometimes for, for people. That's why, you know, I say Twitter's a dumpster fire because it's just a, it's, it's really a dumpster fire of scandal. <laughs> like people yeah. knocking everybody else, you know, and just, so, I mean, and there are good things. There are, you know, good people on Twitter doing awesome work. Um, yeah, but you're right. For the most part, it's, um, which by the way, uh, I, a little humble brag, and, and there's not a lot of people watching. Um, a bishop from uh, unnamed diocese says he follows me on Twitter. It was a big diocese. He was like, what you do with the social media is awesome. I was like, oh. <laughs> That's I was, exciting. I was completely nerding out. I was like, well, thank you. You know, it, was, it wasn't a small diocese. It was actually a pretty awesome diocese. Oh, that's great. Pretty awesome bishop. So that's great. Like, but, yeah, so that really made my day. But um, I think that's what it is, is that change is uncomfortable. The People want to avoid change in work. Mm-hmm. And so and if you can bring the bar down to you, it's, you know, it's much easier than working yeah. your way all the way up there. And, and this, yeah. That's and this is where I've seen, it. I, I, I see it now. Cause, cause people who've done that to me, it's like, you know, whatever you do, they find a negative twist to it. Oh, all he cares about is popularity or um, all, uh, all he cares about, you know, you buy nice vestments. All he cares about is looking flashy, right? So that, that I don't have to buy, spend money on vestments or I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Or whatever yeah. it might be, layers of stuff. Right. I mean, there's, I'm sure there are many things that we could be picked apart for. But yeah. really what, it, that's a really self-reflection for them. You know what I mean? Like, like, and for us, like if we do that too, if we, if we find ourselves picking apart things, and we can say like, okay, why am I doing this? You know, it's a good exercise. Like, why, why am I, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like I have to dig into this person and like find their, in, find their, their insecurities and have them feel this, you know, why, why do I want them to feel like this? Do I have to bring them down? We've all done yeah. it. Yeah, I've done yeah. it. I, I can list off the people I've done that with, at least mentally, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I have, I, mean, I think one, sometimes the advantage of appearing wholly is that you just have the forethought not to say it out loud, even though you're thinking it. Like, or you are well, not self-control to... <laughs> is important. <laughs> as I get older, I realize. That, as I realize that, I as I get older, I realize the saints probably had all kinds of negative thoughts. They just had the advantage in self-control not to say them. Right, you know? right, and that's and that's, that's, that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know. Yeah, and it's, but it, and that's important, you know. And we we joke. But, you know, it's, it really is important to have self-control and not run your mouth and not hurt other people intentionally or unintentionally, you know, like to be in- intentional about the, you know, goodness, about striving for goodness. Yeah. So. I will say, I want to close with this. The thing that I tw- tweeted back 
that nobody responded to. But so I have at least one person responding is what drives me crazy is there needs to be more priests doing media and not for millions of views or hundreds of thousands of views. I think what we've encountered is I would encourage all people to recognize that most people encounter, which is we have an influence on our sphere of influence, which is, is small. But it's our friends, it's our parishioners. Like there are people that pay attention, even if it's only a hundred views on Facebook. That's a hundred people. Like if you got a hundred people in a room and did whatever with them, like that would be worth your time, right? Right. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's important. Exactly. So I, that's the thing that drives me crazy with some of this, where people like put down media priests. There should be more. Like I think almost every priest should consider posting their homilies. There's Sunday homilies online and it's great feedback too. Cause when you see the numbers and you see what resonates with people and you see what's your, like going back to naming grace in your life, mm-hmm. I've, I've learned to recognize what people want because I can just see the numbers click up. So I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. That topic was really popular. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And, and then you're able to give them more of what they need or what they want in, in terms of, you know, or just under, in, and understanding people, even if it's small. Like, I mean, I don't think our audiences, I, I haven't, I mean, I, I, it's been steady growth, but my audience is not like astronomically big, but, um, but you, you just learn a lot from it, but yeah. And, and even this process has been, you know, extremely fruitful, the, the process of this podcast. Um, yeah. So, and I'm, you know, s- supremely grateful for, you know, everyone who does listen and people who come and comment. Thanks Ryan. And Jen, yeah, Jen's got a job now. So, you know, yeah. be thankful. We're thankful for that. Uh, we have two comments. Ryan says, I think John recognizes the hi- hierarchical structure, but also his own unworthiness. I'm not worthy to receive you. Dot, dot, dot. Exactly. So, and then he says, like every week at mass before receiving the Eucharist, I say, I'm unworthy and Jesus has come. And Father Vitalis says, a very good idea. I love that idea of using new media for evangelization. Thanks. Thanks, man. And so, yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, Father Vitalis, for coming again. And uh, we don't have any prayer requests, and we're out of time. So yeah. will you do oh, Where's Father Vitalis from? Can you look it up real quick? My parish. I was from your parish. <laughs> He's my priest. I claim him. For a second there, because I see some of like, you know what I would love to see more content of? even if it was shot with phones is like African or like Latin American content, like in English with like with social media where it's like, you can even just take clips from a phone or like a halfway decent camera. I love it. Don't you love seeing like that insights, like masses or. Yeah. I I mean, yes. Father Vitalis, you really do need to like show us how they do massy where you're from because he's definitely oh he's, he's, he's definitely african or something yeah he's uh, from that's, nigeria that's I, yeah uh, that's oh, okay well like, he lives here like, now <laughs> he lives yeah, in I, would say, I would tell him show him my videos of my travel log that i did when i was up upstate new york that was by far the most popular thing i've done in the past six months and it was all i sh- i didn't shoot on my phone i shot it you could spend a thousand thousand dollars on a kit um a thousand dollars maybe a thousand two hundred five hundred but that's that's not astronomical, and just document your trip to Nigeria when you're visiting your family. Parishioners will love it. Oh my gosh, yeah. I agree. I would I would love that, Father Vitalis. Um. <laughs> I, I would watch. I mean, exactly. Yeah. 
but mm -hmm. but he gave a talk about how different even different mass worship is in oh, yeah. Nigeria and and cool. and how people just don't realize in different cultures sometimes it just is a little bit different um, yeah. which we recognize as military family military people get that when you travel a lot but yeah yeah but, and that's but, beautiful you know the joy the joy in different cultures just sometimes come across in a different way they remind me i think tim put together after he put together my kit that i use for my homilies and everything that it's it's a relatively cheap i mean it's a thousand five hundred you can spend mm -hmm. upwards of forty thousand yeah don't do, that. <laughs> don't do that but like you can spend a thousand five hundred on a set of gear and just document like you know like your trip like home to africa i mean I, everybody would love it yeah. like i yeah he says, wow. really, it's completely different. I will do that, but I will not be home soon. So he just got, he just got here. Okay. So he's, Absolutely. he's, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. But all right. Well, let's close with a prayer. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray for Father Vitalis, for his family. We pray for Jennifer, for Alana's family, for Jennifer's family. We pray for Ryan and for everybody else who will watch or listen. Pray in a special way for our students who went on SLS for their renewal, um, for their transformation. And um, we pray for all the speakers that were SLS, especially those who just face that, that, that criticism of being in the public eye. Just help them to, to recognize their identity in Christ and to not worry about the, the negativity and the haters. And we just ask you to bless all who are watch or follow this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thanks. Have a good week, everybody. Take me to the fountain by sake. It's welling up, it's welling up in me, me. Nothing in the, nothing in the world satisfies like you. Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts a new line of Catholic-themed coffees available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Redbox Media. Experience coffee like never before.